Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. And I guess the question I have for you, Glenn, is, is it time? Time for... Onyekamania. I mean, he continues to give us reasons to be excited about his future in the league and, and with the team there's and there's nothing wrong with that excitement um I, I i just think we also have to acknowledge that he still struggles at times he still makes uh mistakes like any young big so um he's on awesome trajectory um he in my mind he's not ready to start handle 30 31 minutes a game on a team that has real ambition right now. I, I think that's definitely in his future. And I think it's not too far down the line, but he's not there yet in my assessment. So if I'm raining on someone's parade, I'm not going to apologize for that. He has benefited. Like, I think there's no question that when you play with DeAndre Hunter, who's finally gotten to a place where he's gotten the rust off, and Kevin Herter as your two wings, you're you're probably playing with the the best perimeter crew that you can play with, and he has more of a benefit than than Clint Capella has had in that regard. Definitely, and that's um, some of what Capella got last year in the playoffs. Now Hunter wasn't there, but uh, Herter was uh, kind of there all the time, and JC was at his best, uh, you know, and kind of part of that first unit. And, and all of that. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, Hunter, especially um, for a wing, helps with the rebounding more than the other wings do, even though Herter at times has been a good rebounder for what I would say is a guard um, and, and such. But the rebounding is probably issue number one right now for a, a Kongu. They struggle to rebound when he's uh, on the floor. That happened e- even in the win against Minnesota last night. That was an issue in the, in, in the first half, got better. In the second half, but that was more the result a result of the team um, being more committed and engaged uh, rebounding, which should always be the case anyway. But you know that's there, and then you know he's really good defensively when he's in the primary action. When he's not in that, he struggles to find ways to help. He struggles to find ways to make himself useful and kind of on time and, and all that sort of stuff. And then, as can be the case for a, a young guy. How do you communicate as a defensive anchor when you're on a guy who's parked in the weak side corner? You know, uh, Minnesota just put Vanderbilt in the weak corner like the whole first half that he was on the court. <laughs> and Akaga was over there like, what do I do? Like, you know, how do I how do I help? And started trying to kind of feel his way towards how far can I come off of him? 2.9. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but it took him a, a while, and it looked like the coaching staff had to kind of verbally – kind of talk him through a bit of that because he's not, he's not used to being on a guy who's parked in the corner. That's right. new. I, I was new to him as you know, as far as you know, my memory. And that's just an example of something that as a young guy, he hasn't necessarily encountered yet. And there's going to be that learning curve. Um, that stuff's going to come up. I, we talk about it all the time, but the best version of the Hawks has Capella starting at center, a Kongu backing him up and a Kongu being an option to close games when the matchup calls for a big man that can get further out of the perimeter impact at the level of a screen, maybe even full one through five switching. If you want to do that, 
he's more suited for that than is Capella. Um, so it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have. Do, when do I, if you ask me like, Lynn, when is a Congo going to be the Hawks starting center? You know, if the Hawks hadn't just given Capella an extension, uh, I might <laughs> feel a little more bullish to say, Hey, it may be next year sometime. You know, I, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I think that's the range of him potentially being ready to be a guy that could start is sometime next season uh, on a, on a good team, on a good team with real ambition. Um, that that's not to say it couldn't happen sooner. He's certainly progressing and we'll see, but that's my assessment is best, best version of Hawks, Capella, Akangwu, uh, you know, either can close games depending on the matchups. When can Akangwu be kind of started ready? My guess would be sometime next year. What do the Hawks do? I don't know and that, that we're not going to sort that out this year because they can't trade Capella <laughs> this year. And uh, I would be disappointed if they traded a Congo unless they're getting something like a top, a no doubt top 15 player back. And I, I can't imagine who that would be. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a great to go way back. I think that's a great point about, you know, his strength being when he's in the primary action. I think that's, you know, I think that's a, key observation at this point and it's probably hard to be a I guess 21 21 year old you know trying to direct a bunch of 26 and 30 year olds and tell them what to do and where to go uh he might not be the loudest I think Nate has said that he has some room to grow as a communicator uh Clint's probably way ahead of him at that point but I I do think that at some point he could be a finisher I'm surprised that more teams have have uh neglected to try to hack Capella down the stretch of games. I mean, his free throw shooting has regressed to the point where he's at 46% on the season now. Uh, kudos to Danilo Gallinari for leading the NBA in free throw percentage. But, uh, yeah, Capella really just looked completely unsure of himself now, and it's affecting – I think it's affecting more than just the free throw thing because I think he's rushing his interior attempts to avoid the free throws. But, uh, you know – in games that matter more, it, I think it's going to be harder to play Capella at the end of games. And, and you know, getting a Kongwu a fast track now with some extra minutes is a good thing. Yeah, agreed. Although Kongwu's had kind of a free throw bug of recent, but, you know, that, yeah, that could I, not. Yeah, that's small sample. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's also just kind of like he is he is amped. Like, I think he's like playing himself to the point of of like near exhaustion like he's going like the the throttle is open and he's just going and i think once he paces himself a little more he won't be quite so gassed at the free throw line when he gets there that that's part of uh, becoming experienced is knowing how to manage your energy kind of throughout the game and, and save it for when you really need it while also playing hard playing hard and using all of your energy or in some ways two different things especially for a big man you know, um, that's um, something, you know, really critical. Um, but, but even him at the free throw line, I, I think when I watch him, it feels like a part of that is just him being, I don't want to use the word overwhelmed, but him trying to kind of uh, maintain all of the responsibility that comes with starting at center and organizing the defense and anchoring the defense. And then all of the mental um, processing that comes with that, they go, oh, now I got to stop and shoot a shot, you know, from the free throw line, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, test, that, test switching. 
it's not what he's going over before the game with the coaching staff. Right. But, uh, but that'll, that'll come. He has, I mean, awesome touch within yeah, what he does. 10, 12 feet of the rim. And that's going to, you know, seems for sure that's going to translate there. Um, uh, you know, but it was interesting if, if we want to talk about him being better in the action and still at times, um, if not a lot of times lost when he's not there, you know, he started the game on Vanderbilt and we talked about him being in the corner and the, I mean, not only was a, a Kongu uh, struggling to make an impact, the Hawks' defense was atrocious in that first half. I, I think, was yeah. it 70, 72 that Minnesota put up? <laughs> um, Maybe. But, yeah. Um, and then in the second half, they put him on Towns, and he was right in the middle of everything. And, you know, he had the, the sort of the highlight, the exciting blocks. He had the trash-talking moment, um, you know, with Towns. And uh, they created, like, it seemed like it was three or four possessions right in a row uh, early in the third quarter. They got turnovers that were created. And, and I mean, he was really disruptive. And it seemed like Minnesota wasn't really ready for that adjustment coming out because they really struggled to kind of, kind of deal with that. But that, that's a stark example there. Um, but, you know, he's got to be able to do both. You know, when you're um, facing a team that's creating through the guards and the wings and they don't rely on so much on pick and roll, He's got to find a way to make himself useful, but that's just going to take repetitions and, and you know, and building in a base of experience, doing a number of different things besides just dropping, dropping against middle pick and roll, um, which is probably what everyone practices, um, you know, by, by far, especially with kind of young bigs hitting them, them ready for that. So what an exciting second half for him. Um, you know, he really did not back down from, from Towns. I put one of the plays up on Twitter, not the one where Towns got the flagrant, which I still am a little bit confused about some aspects of that. But um, there was a play he got a block from behind. And what was, I think, most encouraging about that play is that Towns cleared him out on that play and moved yeah. him out of the way. And Congo just came right back in the play and got the block from behind. And for a young guy to be that tenacious, about get, not feeling like oh I'm out of the play now or oh you didn't call the the fat the, the offensive foul he got right back in there and that that just is an example of why his mentality is, is part of what excites me so much is just how tenacious he is when he is confident in what he's doing and the more he can kind of get that confidence base built out to a, a greater variety of things that he'll need to do it's just going to get better and better I think. Uh, you mentioned a bunch of topics. I, I have one that I want to include at some point. Where, what do you want to talk about next? That, that flagrant I, uh, that was called on Towns was just—it's it's still a little puzzled by it. Um, like Bill Kennedy, lead official, pro- probably the best official lead in my in my estimate right now. Um, but, you know, I, I lived in Minnesota for 11 years before we moved out here a couple of years ago, and all of my Minnesota people were just irate about that. So I went back and looked at it today, and I, I couldn't – the angle didn't really help me. But, um, you know, first right. of all, I, I'm not sure the process that got them to reviewing – I'm not sure I've seen that before. And I'm not sure about the call, but I, I presume that if you're, if you're going into review, you see something – you know, you're fully confident it happened. Uh, so just, I just wonder what, what you saw there, not to belabor this conversation too much, but I just heard a lot of, a lot from my Minnesota people about that today. Yeah. First I thought the camera angle was 
suboptimal, so it's hard to really tell. I mean, his leg was up, but I don't know how it got up. I don't know what it hit, what it aimed, what, you know, what the kind of contact was, but it, it did seem like his leg was up. And I guess, you know, I don't know what angle they were looking at, but I suspect that you know, if they review for any reason, in this case, they were reviewing for the end of quarter, see if the shot went off before the buzzer. I think in any context, if they, you know, look at something and see that a flagrant happened as opposed to a regular call, you know, I guess at that point they they can they can tack on the flagrant. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. You want to officiate um, that kind of stuff pretty pretty aggressively, but um, it was it was just unexpected. I. I don't. I don't think it was really that consequential in the game, apart from maybe Towns playing with the foul trouble he ended up with. Um, um, but yeah, <laughs> which might have helped them because it oh. got them into that zone. It did. It, it got them kind of, and the Hawks struggled with that. Um, you know, uh, final minutes there and, and such. But yeah, I mean, and maybe it's just the nature of you know the team you're rooting for losing. You're gonna kind of wake up the next day upset about you know a few of the things that jump about it use my all my you know uh, all, not all my Minnesota people but they were all upset about that one uh today uh for sure so I, I had to even go back and look at it and 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 try to figure out you know what happened there I, I it was just a weird one for me <laughs> I asked Nate about the known defenses today you know especially with a game against Miami looming who knows if, if if they'll drop into one at some point, but it seems like it's hard for them to go a whole 48-minute game without doing some of it. And I just wanted him to, to, you know, say what he thought about how his offense was performing against the zone. And, you know, his, his touch points for his answer was, or the, the touch points were that, you know, he, he doesn't want them to look at his own defense as a stop sign. He wants them to kind of be aggressive in attacking it. He wants them to find the gaps in the zone. It didn't seem like he wanted to change too much. Like he emphasized that you know, they could attack it with their base offense. And, you know, he wanted them to be aggressive. But you know, he also said that it's really common, which is <laughs> that, you know, that was why I was asking the question is that it seems quite common, but. It does seem like the Hawks have had some some hiccups when they faced it. Yeah, well, I mean, their their bigs are pick and roll bigs, and hard to run a pick and roll against the zone. I've seen some teams try it, um, but you know, typically against the zone, you want to think about your big man being you know at about at the free throw line, catching the ball and kind of turning and able to pass it, you know, from there. Which you know, Collins can do, Congo can do, Capella, you know if he's not getting pressured, you know, um, probably fine ish doing that too, but that's just not how they, the Hawks set up their offense at all. You know, um, right. I thought the issue against the Wolves was Trey, Trey, I think more than any other player will start to milk the clock earlier uh, in the fourth quarter when, when his team has a, a lead than you'll see anyone else. You'll see him almost like even as, even the range of like four whole minutes left and eight, nine, 10 point lead right in that range, uh, which are still, that's a lot of game, but you know, it, you kind of trust his instinct and want to, you know, let him um, kind of use his judgment there. But when, with the wolves in that zone to protect towns uh, from getting his sixth foul, they're being their biggest goal. I think while they got into that, um, Trey would bleed the clock 
you get it down to about nine or eight left, and it, it just takes longer to attack a zone than it does man to man. You know, in that situation against a man, you can kind of pick a matchup and just go try to create a shot one on one. It's just harder to do that against a zone. And, and there was, it felt like it was like a you know, 13, 14 point lead right around there when uh, Wills got into that zone. And it felt like, you know, just a handful of possessions that got down. I don't remember how, how close it got, but did it get the six. Seems like it did. I think it did. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, Nate can say all those things and, you know, it doesn't surprise me that coach kind of puts his talking points on it, but I can't imagine he wants to replicate <laughs> that performance from that stretch of the game against Minnesota in their zone. Cause it was, it was pretty rough. Yeah. And that is something that they've talked about. I mean, Nate does want him to bleed the clock. I think in most situations, uh, probably takes some adaptation when you're facing the zone because you're right it does does take longer to attack it uh is there anything you're looking forward to in this miami game well i mean miami is kind of going there they're a little about um right now they're going to be undermanned uh i think i think lowry and hero are both out so just going correct memory yeah. Bam, Bam's only been back for a game or two, I think, at this point. So, right. Um, but man, uh, Miami is a machine. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, they yeah. just plug their guys in, and uh, it's it's a, it's just impressive to see. So, I mean, Hawks Hawks interest aside, I just enjoy watching Miami because of what they do. Um, you know, from a kind of a operational perspective of of what they do both in so consistently so soundly and in, in, in a way it it feels like it doesn't matter who's in there so but no i mean the hawks need i mean I, the divisional thing is not really a thing except that this is just a team you're going to see four times a year every year and you want to have confidence that uh you can go beat that team when you need to go get over that you're going to compete uh against that team and let remind ourselves the back-to-back last week um the second game was super close went right down to the wire uh, both teams, you know, had representative rosters and rotations uh, in that game. Um, so I'm just mostly looking forward to a, a good game, an interesting game. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is the Hawks struggle to chase uh, guys that um, shoot right, right, right in the space of their own screener. Um, you know, uh, the Nets, when Joe Harris, has been healthy kind of do that a lot Seth with the Sixers did that a lot uh last year in the playoffs we, we might remember that there are other examples too but I mean Miami will lift a shooter up the floor into that DHO and shoot like right in that little tight kind of space that little pocket that's created there uh-huh. and in, in my mind um that's what the Hawks have to have to really kind of do a lot better than they did last week now on the flip side of that we may remember a few times that shooter when the Hawks overplayed and kind of kind of top locked that acts to a degree, a Max Struz or someone else cut to the basket and got a wide open layup. So Miami knows how to punish you if you get so that if you ask me kind of what thing I'm watching from them on defense, which has been you know, where most of their issues have come, is how do they handle that little pocket that's created with that lift DHO action that they have. Um watching that and then on the other end, you know, I looking forward to seeing Dan play. You know he, he's he's a, he's a punch, but 
um, you know, it's always funny to think back about how exciting the, the, the win against the Wolves was because that shooting performance trade in the third quarter, I don't think you can bank on that, you know, <laughs> every game, right? So they're going to, you know, need need uh, a contribution from body. And thankfully, Hunter's back and, and helping in that area. But I just think it's going to be – I'm expecting a good game. And it's an important game for the Hawks because they need to be stacking wins fairly urgently. Yeah, uh, you're right that certainly third quarter Trey was not going to be sustainable, but it's a promising sign because he had gone four games or so that he wasn't himself at all. He was he was playing below the Trey line, so uh, to see him jump above the Trey line for a quarter or two is a good thing to get him in a groove. He might be finding his rhythm once again, and literally for you know for the Hawks that's the number one thing <laughs> they go as Trey goes in a lot of cases yeah it, did, did, did it jump out to you that they took the ball out of his hands at the end of the game when um Minnesota had to trap and they were like they were letting Herder mostly handle the ball and kick Trey off the ball I don't think so I I think that's uh, that seems fine. I mean, uh, I don't see any issue there. Uh, do, is, do you see an issue there? I, that just, I don't see an issue. It just it surprised me a little bit, but maybe the thought process there is that you get a bigger ball handler, it's harder to trap them, you know. But that, it's just, you know, I, I wonder if fans noticed that. We're like, why are we taking the, the ball out of Trey's hands? I think it's fine, especially when Herder's on. Uh, and even, even Hunter um, uh, is as a – I guess tertiary option in that sense. Um, but it's just, I, I find it interesting to see a team that's been struggling at the end of games. What does Nate do? What are the little kind of nuanced things that Nate, the coaching staff do to try to set them up for success? And I, I thought that was something that was really different in that game. So it, it may seem like not super interesting, but in my mind, again, watching a team trying to close games stronger, I'm looking for little nuanced adjustments and that was one where I thought they set themselves up to avoid um, you know possible turnovers you know if the Minnesota throws two kind of big defenders at Trey he, you know he doesn't have the size and need to kind of work around that unless he's going to nutmeg a guy as he did on one <laughs> possession um, right but it was interesting to see uh, it's just interesting to me to see how the coaching staff is going to go about trying to support this team getting stronger finishes and they certainly got to apart from that stretch where they really couldn't do much with us or just or way too late to try to do something with its own. It's a pretty strong finish. Yeah. I agree. Is there anything else you want to get to? Just curious if you uh, saw the, the, um, the more kind of almost kind of reducing the price tag of Ben Simmons. He basically said, Joel and B is playing so well um, that he's going to uh, kind of be, you know, be more open-minded about what kind of return to to get trade. So that's kind of shift your view on what's going on in, in Philly and how that might impact the Hawks at all. No, I mean, I, I think it's just Maury trying to save face. <laughs> <laughs> Right, he drew the line in the sand, and now he's like, you know what? The other side of that line might not be so bad. 
Uh, let me step over here and see what it feels like. I, I think he's just looking for an excuse to uh, rationalize his own behavior. I think, you know, he set an unrealistic goal. He knows he's not going to meet that goal. So I think he's just trying to recalibrate the bar in such a way that he can still, you know, limbo under it and, and look like a good GM. I don't, I don't think that's, I mean, that was kind of the end point anyways, is that everybody that looked at this situation said, well, you're Philadelphia. You, you can't be wasting Joel Embiid's prime. Like None you of just, it. You, None you of can't. It. It's you, they waited how many years for him to just get healthy. Right. Uh, you know, how long is his career going to be? It's, he's, he's so playing good. at such a high level. So yeah. I, I think that was right there that everybody could see it and, and Maury couldn't say it out loud, but, I think he just he kind of has to use the obvious to save face. Yeah, yeah. I, it's kind of like, oh, he's not going to get the return that he threw out there. Joel gets a career high. Now it's time to say, oh, Joel's playing so well, we can be more flexible. And so I, I, I was opportunistic too. I I do wonder if that gets the Hawks in the mix at all for Simmons and with all the report interest they have it. It makes me wonder if that makes the, the, the trade possibility a little higher. Um, but we'll see. But I just I just I just find that interesting to kind of track these narratives as the closer we get to the trade line. So appreciate you uh uh talking through that one with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh can can we bring Paul Millsap home? Uh, sure. You just gotta figure out. I guess he would get what the what was this who has to someone has to go he gets to be the new solo we don't have to figure out uh whether it's kevin knox or you know someone else but um you don't have to cut anybody do you 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 wouldn't have to because you sent out solomon hill yeah hill's gone hill's roster spot is there that's 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 literally the role he would step into (laughs) kind of he would yeah i mean i wonder if he might be not play instead of gorgie at times when you know yeah, um, he's, he's more of a center. Yeah, so yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's like as soon as I saw that news about Millsap, I thought the Wolves should get in on that, you know, because they mm-hmm. they could use a steady veteran like him and had to play next to Cat and the way a guy that played next to Jokic when he took strides, you know, defensively. Um, yep. So the uh, you know, and uh, my my good friend Dane Moore was putting some analysis like that on Twitter today. So. Um, Especially now that the Hawks are done with Minnesota for the year, um, we'd love to see Paul come home. If, if that doesn't happen, we'd love to see him in Minnesota helping out a, a team that a lot, a lot of people I care about cheer for. So we'll 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 see. Should be no shortage of places to value uh, a guy who brings all those qualities uh, to the teams he's on. So I do think it's a weird situation in that I wonder, you know where he ends up just in the sense that well he he certainly wants to win now i'm sure he wants to play for a title contender but you know is he willing it it seems like if he's leaving brooklyn he's not really there he doesn't want a spot where he could just be sort of the insurance backup so like which which team is that which which team that actually has a realistic chance of winning a title also needs you know a six foot six center uh you know, obviously a lot of skills, a lot of defense, a lot of veteran leadership, but I don't know. Right. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I don't think, I think it's the Timberwolves. I don't think it's really the Hawks. I, I don't no. know. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it, dep- it depends on like, you know, part of his thinking might be like, I need to play because maybe he wants one more decent contract. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I just don't know what his thinking is. You know, yeah. um, you you'd think if it was getting a championship, he would just stay put, you know, um, right. you know, I mean, I think it, not to kind of always go back to them, but I, I think about Miami with the risk of, you know, Bam, you know, if like if he gets hurt again, they're, you know, they're hurting and the kind of defense they play is suitable for Millsap, depending on if he how, how much he is physically kind of what he's been for most of you know, this last stretch of his career and such. Um, you know, the Clippers um, I, season seems to be evaporating right in front of all of us, you know, with the the new the extended absence for Paul George. Not really sure what's, what's going on with Kawhi. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he'd also be really helpful in Toronto. Toronto's not going to win the championship, but if they wanted to kind of up, you know, their trajectory, they have, they're playing such young guys at the five up there, you know, so it's, you know, it's interesting. And then another, right go back road, to bud. He, we've, we've put Corver and, and Teague through Milwaukee for, for Mike Boonholz. We could do it now with Millsap. Yeah. And I, then I guess, Orver, if Orver Brooke Lopez is, is, isn't, you know, isn't going to be 100% soon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tell you what I find maybe the most interesting, right, or right up there with Minnesota, is Charlotte is in so many ways such a good team. They play small lineups and they suck at center. So that know, would be I, that I, actually I think, is a good one. I, I kind of like that one. Yeah, I like that one too. Um, it, again, he's not going to win a championship there, but presumably if he wants out of Brooklyn, that he's open minded on what the opportunities are. I think that would be an amazing. Uh, fit um, right up 85 uh, in Charlotte. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, also, the Phoenix, you know, they um, really are pretty bad behind DeAndre, you know. I thought they have Bismack. There. Yeah. Did but, they sign you know, him to an end-of-year deal? I'd have to look it up, to be honest. I think they did. But we've seen them try to, try to make Kaminsky work. You know, Jalen Smith is – uh, kind of a fun project to watch, but he's not going to help you in the postseason. Um, Kaminsky has his shot making, but he has his drawbacks on defense. So, I mean, if he wants to kind of go somewhere else where he can play and possibly pursue a championship, Phoenix seems like a decent fit too. I mean, Charlotte's more fun because he could start and really unlock a lot of stuff for them and work with Bridges and PJ uh, kind of in that, you know, mix of the four and the five. But, you know, for, in terms of what his interests might be, Phoenix might be a great fit too. Those are the ones that come to mind for me. Um, you know, Utah's looking better on defense, but I think I think their issues on the perimeter. So I don't, I don't know that that's a match there, even though he probably has a relationship with Mr. Snyder still. So wait, no, say that again. Oh, yeah, relationship with Mr. Snyder, but Utah and his brother, uh, there was a thing there. So I oh yeah, I forgot Utah. about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think he's going to Utah. Scratch that one. Yeah, take that one off the list. Golden State, Golden State, you know. He'd be interesting there too, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, but oh, Brooklyn's not going to trade him to Golden State. Probably not to Phoenix. Not to my, you know, if we're talking about a trade, I mean, Brooklyn's not going to help, you know, another, you know, superpower out there, right? So right. it's got to factor in, so. That's true. Charlotte or, or Minnesota, it is, I, I 
I think that the two places were. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte's interesting. I like. I, I think that's that's catchy. I like it. All right. Anything else? That, that's all good? I got for tonight. Just, it, it's you get a shorter punch list with all these wins. <laughs> I know there's uh, fewer problems to talk through. Less less therapy, you know, and you know, more fun <laughs> topics. So. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night. And you.